This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Um, kind of a word that's been used in the bubble of the newsroom journalism industry uh, for the last year or two, and it refers to any graphic or a story that uses scroll events uh, to trigger changes in graphics or interactives. Um, so it's really kind of a just... Uh, a new version of separate graphics. We know you, you click next, 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 and things change. Um, but it relies on the user's scrolling, which is more of a kind of inherent behavior to the web um, to, to trigger those changes. Um, so Scrollama, it was, there's plenty of scroll libraries out there. So one of the better ones is one by Adam um, called GraphScroll. Uh, but I decided to create one because I wanted to take advantage of a new um, browser feature called Intersection Observer, which basically asynchronously detects uh, changes of uh, elements in the viewport, um, which apparently offloads that from the main thread so it can do it asynchronously and just result in a kind of cleaner experience and less jank, hopefully. So that's kind of like the, the TLDR of what scrolly telling is and why I made Scrollama. Gotcha. So are there some like examples people can go and look at right now to see kind of what you're talking about? Absolutely. So I think one of the earliest kind of, uh, I'd say more widespread versions uh, is one called, uh, it was one by the New York Times in 2013. Um, and I just posted a link to it. It's called The Game of Shark and Minnow. It was uh, an interactive story by the New York Times. Um, and it kind of just, it was a nice visual essay with a combination of graphics and video and audio um, and allowed the user to scroll through and the text, as the text moved, the, the graphics and interactives would, would change. Um, and that was a couple of years ago. So it's really been around for a while, but I'd say it's become more of a standard practice in the last year or two. Um, and another great example was, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Tony Chu's An Introduction to Machine Learning, um, which came out a couple years ago as well. And I believe he's actually releasing a follow-up story to this uh, in a couple months. Um, and his is a, like a slight variation on storytelling, where he actually, instead of doing the kind of step style, he does it so... Um, kind of incrementally as the user is scrolling, it responds with every single scroll event to kind of tween an animation, which is uh, a little bit more of a, I guess, an advanced technique. So I'm assuming the New York Times is using this. Is that correct? Uh, yes. So, yes. Ad so Adam okay. here is from the New York Times. Okay. So if that's the case, because um, I know Intersection Observer, um, that is not fully supported, correct? If so, what are you guys doing to... Like polyfill that or 
Uh, yeah. So for scroll llama specifically, I just have it polyfilled. Uh, so it should pretty much support any modern browser and back, you know, a couple versions. Um, I, I've only used it on the pudding. I don't believe anyone has used it for like a New York Times story. They have a few other libraries that they use. Plus this is pretty, uh, pretty new. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, maybe Adam can speak to some of the libraries that they're, they're big fans of. Yeah. So when I do scrolly filling stuff, I typically use my graph scroll library, which I wrote two years ago now before intersection observer was around. Um, so it, it just caches the height of each element on the page and then on scroll just steps through those values. So it's not too expensive, but it's still a little bit expensive uh, to be doing on each scroll, particularly on mobile. Um, there's uh, another one of my colleagues, Josh Williams, also has his own uh, scroll story, which he does. Uh, it, kind of has a similar API. It's more jquery -E than D3, but both of those don't use intersection observable. So um, what is the intersection observable? I'm not sure I completely understand that. Is it just overlap and it tells you when something's on top of something else? Or Yeah, so basically as far as the way I understand it, is it, uh, it asynchronously kind of observes changes to elements um, when they enter or exit the viewport. Um, I think you can also, it doesn't necessarily have to be the viewport. It can detect when uh, elements are in view of their ancestor elements or, other, you know, the parent elements. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the, all, all the magic behind it is that it's, I guess, um, done asynchronously off the main thread. So apparently that's where you make all that performance gain. It seems like a lot of people that I've talked to, and I know we're using this at work, is for like responsive images. Yeah, so I think the way that they bill it is for like, you know, lazy loading images, infinite scrolling and that type of stuff. Um, I just saw it as an opportunity to test out like what else it could be useful for. So that's kind of why I decided to implement a scroll driven uh, library with it. To see I'd, if be, handle it. I'd be curious. Um, are you familiar with the Medium post? It's like um, it's about like millennials and the financial like kind of problems that they're going to face or are facing. And I'm curious if that's using it. Um, do you know the article I'm talking about? Yeah, that's a HuffPo article. I don't think you could do that on Medium. But yeah, I'm not sure what was used to build that. Okay. I'll put a link for people. But yeah. uh, I, oh, I imagine that was uh, actually created before I even released Scrollama because I, I'm assuming they had that in development for the last couple months. So... They probably, oh, yeah. That's not something probably that was written in a week for sure. No, they probably use something like uh, Waypoints or Scroll Magic, I'm guessing, which are other uh, scroll-driven uh, event libraries. So that's one thing that's interesting to me is, is let's say that I am uh, building something like this for the New York Times or I decide, you know what, I want scrolling graphs on devchat.tv to show off something or other. How long does it take for somebody to actually build an interactive... Uh, graph or graphic or, you know, other interface one way or the other that changes the view on graphics or on uh, information as you scroll through it? Yeah. So there's like, like we said, there's lots of libraries out there that does that do stuff like this now. Um, I think the real trouble and kind of time sink comes in when you're trying to do it responsibly um, because 
there's just so many things that you have to recalculate in terms of layout um, and scroll position and all that stuff. Um, so if you're just trying to do something where the scroll trigger is, you know, change something on the page, it's actually pretty painless with any of these libraries. Um, but if you're trying to do something a little bit more complicated, like, uh, for example, a big a common pattern is what I call like the fixed, the, the sticky graphic where you're scrolling and you see the graphic. And then when it comes on screen, it sticks on screen for a little while while you scroll. And then you scroll and you finish the graphic and then it unsticks and kind of leaves. Um, doing something like that is much more time consuming and just kind of takes a lot of, I guess, practice in, ter in terms of implementation because there's a lot of little quirks that you notice. Uh, for example, like on mobile, um, the the menu bar or the address bar um, will like uh, you know uh, pin and unpin depending on the direction you're going. Um, so stuff like that affects the height of your browser, which in in turn affects like calculations for your graphics and your triggers. Um, so there's a lot of little nuances, but <laughs> the short answer is you can get something really simple working very shortly, and to do something more complicated can take you know days or weeks. So for these common yeah. patterns, is there kind oh. of a jQuery of this kind of a thing, or is that what you're building? Or is this just kind of the toolkit that sits underneath it that allows you to um, detect when you scroll and then um, react to it? Uh, with Scroll Llama, I tried to make it so it could do a little bit of both. So if you just wanted something that could just do simple, um, you know, like enter screen uh, triggers, then you can do that. Um, but it also... Um, helps with the setup of the more complicated, like sticky graphic pattern, for example. Um, that being said, there's nothing that I've seen that's totally all encompassing that um, lets you just kind of plug and play and do one of these scroll driven graphics with all the bells and whistles. Um, there's just too much with like the between the JavaScript and the CSS that you have to figure out. So there's still quite a bit of uh, customization. Gotcha. I think Adam, we could you probably make a, yeah, go ahead. We could probably make a template that would cover a lot of use cases, but part of the difficulty is we're constantly reinventing what the form is and sort of taking different approaches whenever we see something. Um, and time frame wise, the the fastest we've ever produced one of these is the Hurricane Irma graphic I just posted in the chat, um, and that took. We got it done in about 24 hours because uh, we were trying to finish before the the storm actually landed in Florida. And that was probably a little bit too ambitious. There's some like bugs on the page and it probably needed a canvas rewrite. And we basically didn't get any sleep doing that. But that's <laughs> about the fastest you can do it, I think. Interesting. So how do you test something like this? Uh, so... I like to do everything on as many physical devices and actual browsers as I can. Um, Chrome, like DevTools, doesn't it does a pretty good job with sim or emulating some of the mobile devices, but there's just a lot it misses, especially for like scroll-driven stuff um, when you're trying to test it on an actual device. So, yeah, I usually put it up on every possible device I can get my hands on, so iPads, iPhones. Um, Androids, whatever I have lying around, and just test it out and see what what happens. Is there a way to do automated testing? I mean, that that's kind of the approach I like to take. You know, write some code that kind of exercises my code and make sure that it does what I expect. There's really not time for that for a lot of these pieces where 
the time frame is like two days or four days and the code you write just gets thrown away after you publish. So a lot of the testing code that I do write is more at the library level and not at the graphic level. Gotcha. So one other thing that I'm wondering a little bit here is um, I found that at least for the basics on things like React or Angular, you know, I can get a, a toy app up, you know, after, uh, you know, within a, a day or two, you know, I don't deeply understand it, but at the same time, you know, I can at least get some things moving. Is is this approachable like that? Or do you really have to kind of understand the use cases that you're putting it through and, you know, put in a lot of work? Because it sounds like this is something that you're generally, you know, spending quite a long time working on and, you know, to get some re result that you can actually see and interact with. Oh, I mean, so if you're just trying to get something that's like, oh, just that's functional, um, you can definitely get something up in, you know, I mean, if you're advanced with JavaScript, you can get something up in a couple of minutes. Um, if you're a little bit newer to the game, I mean, maybe like an hour or so, but okay. you can definitely get something functional very quickly. Most of the work comes actually at the end when you're trying to really polish it and making sure like, everything works and I'll, 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 honestly most of the work comes with integrating it with your graphic itself so if you're doing something with custom maps or if you're doing something with like this fancy canvas stuff that's where most of the work lies not actually in the scroll um event stuff so if i wanted to get started then what, what would you recommend <laughs> uh so i've written a few uh blog posts on getting into scrolly telling specifically um, I will drop them in the chat. Um, and I actually, I wrote a blog post that kind of tried to implement the most basic graphic in six of the different prominent scroll libraries. Um, so if I were getting started, I would definitely take a look at that. Um, and then it depends on your use case. Like each, um, library has its own pros and cons. So the nice thing about using graph scroll, for example, is that it's built on top of D3. So if you're doing a graphic that's um, based on D3, then that's kind of a no-brainer. Um, if, if you want something that has a much more verbose API and like all the features are just you know, options in the API in the library, um, I think like scroll story is a great example. Um, so it really depends on what you're looking for. And part of what I did with the blog post is to hopefully highlight the pros and cons of each different library. Yes, yeah, so it's like oh, go ahead. it's sort of a different kind of development. It's not people aren't building like single page applications or huge things with tens of thousands of lines of code. Um, the libraries are like a hundred lines of code or a thousand lines of code, and most of these like data journalism interactive pieces only have maybe two or four hundred lines of code in the whole project. It's a lot. The scale is a lot smaller than what you might be used to. Gotcha. Is this a skill set that people are expected to have when they come to do development at, at, say, New York Times or Huffington Post or some of these others? Or is this something that you hire people who are proficient in JavaScript and then teach them this when they come on board? Uh, you can answer that, Adam. Um, it's not even a big enough part of what we do to hire as a skill set. I mean, there's like libraries to do it. And if you know JavaScript, you should be able to pick it up in a couple of hours. Mm. So I guess one other thing is, is how do you design these interactions? 
For example, you know, I, I could see setting something up so that when I scroll, the graph moves or, you know, maybe I have a timeline. So instead of it, you know, changing shape or anything, it scrolls sideways as I scroll up and down, you know, so that it it line, you know, it lines up with where I am in the page versus, you know, what's showing up on the timeline or something like that. How, how do you make those things intuitive? How do you make it so that, you know, OK. Um, I scrolled, this changed, and this this really tells me some of the story that I expected to see versus just having it sort of be a distracting cool effect on the web page. Yeah, so I think there's a, there's a lot of uh, different schools of thought on this. Like some people are just doing it to purely be experimental and try something new that's, you know, a little more visually creative or different to, in the hopes of standing out. Um, I like to use what is like the most inherent behavior on the web, which is scrolling and try not to deviate too much from what people are expecting to happen when they scroll, which is something moves as much as you have scrolled. And then on top of that, change the graphics. So um, basically there's this thing. So I'm sure, have we all heard of the, the term scroll jacking? Uh, yep. No. no. So scroll jacking is when is when you scroll, but it doesn't like do what you'd expect it to do. So what you were describing is like as it, scroll jacking could be you swipe and then all of a sudden like all the elements move left or right, which is not what you'd expect if you're you know navigating vertically or just right. scrolling with your wheel vertically. Um, so as long as you're keeping some element, whether it's text or something visual that's moving like you'd expect it to while you're scrolling. Um, then you then you kind of have more leeway in terms of making other graphics on the page do something that you want to um, because you're still kind of setting up that expectation for the user to kind of scroll with their normal one-to-one -one mapping. Um, so I think there's a balance between kind of keeping that expected behavior, but then also trying things that are a little bit visually and I guess experientially different. There's one situation where... So like scroll jacking is super annoying, um, but on mobile, I actually think it's the correct thing to do. You can get closer to sort of like mobile native experiences if you scroll jack to swipe between slides. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that's not easy to do. Um, you can't prevent you can't prevent default on scroll events on mobile anymore in Chrome at least. So. You have to do this crazy like uh, CSS translate to uh, snap between different slides. And so does that produce the desired effect then? For you, the listeners of JavaScript Jabber, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings.
Yeah, it does. So the the we did a piece last year. Only nine percent of Americans chose uh, Trump or Clinton. Uh, talking about just the number of people who actually voted in the presidential primaries, and I used a mashup of Josh Williams' uh, scroll story and a swiper library. So on desktop, you get the normal free scrolling experience where the text just moves on to the right of the graphic and it everything scrolls normally except that the graphic is fixed. Mm-hmm. On mobile, the graphic is on top and the text is below the graphic. And when you scroll up, it basically does sort of a momentum calculation and snaps it to the next slide. Um, so you can flick between slides and a lot of what I see people doing and what I honestly do because it's easier and quicker to do is on mobile, you have to be careful with the text. You have to like manually scroll it. So it's in like the white space beneath the graphic and then read it and watch the transition and then carefully scroll and position it below where you really just want to swipe. That's both technically more difficult and sort of editorially more difficult too, because you, you also have to write your content in such a way that it always fits within the like white space beneath the graphic. And that's like, there's a zillion different phone sizes and it's, if you do it wrong, then you're going to end up with people not being able to read the entire article, which is like the worst case scenario. Yeah. And just adding on to that, um, a thing that I often do with mobile is like all basically all the potential pitfalls that Adam just mentioned is it can just oftentimes be easier to convert a scroll driven graphic to a stacked graphic. So where you just have more of a traditional um, experience of text than a graphic than text than a graphic. Um, and that's obviously much easier to consume because there's no guessing about um, layouts or anything like that. Um, but it does come with the downside of you lose for example, object constancy. So if the whole point of your visual was to show like a transition from one thing to another, you're going to lose that by converting it to a stack graphic. That's actually one of my, my biggest peeves with like scrolly graphics that people do is when they just have a fixed chart area, but they're just like crossfading between two different chart forms or they're not, if you're not actually kind of transforming the, like how the, data is being represented there's no reason to do scrolly stuff you should just stack graphics on top of each other um so yeah if you do have an experience that does work with like just chart text chart text as a stack and that works on mobile and that's where most of the audience is a lot of what we've been doing recently is just not even trying to do the transitions at all so do you consider this part of journalism or is it you know just technology I, I don't know how to ask this question, I guess, but, uh, you know, is it, I mean, are you part of the journalistic team or are you just a technologist backing up the journalistic team? Uh, yeah. so, or does oh, that not ahead. mean anything at all? I don't know. Go ahead. Ab. Yeah. So we're, I'm a graphics editor. I like call people on the phone. I write stories and I write code to present those stories to people. So yeah, it's definitely like we wear all the hats at once basically. Okay. Yeah. And at the pudding, we actually all consider ourselves journalist engineers. There's a lot of different names for what we, we do, but um, pretty much in most newsrooms that I'm familiar with, um, all of the people creating these type of graphics are journalists as well as developers. There's a lot of the kind of culture of, 
development. If you just wear a development hat all the time, you end up sort of working on longer, bigger projects with like weekly scrums and long timeframes. And it, it doesn't really mesh well with the tempo of the news. Mm-hmm. And then specifically scrolling, that's definitely I just see as a, a, you know, a technology that we are utilizing now because we think it's a good thing to, that enhances the way that we can communicate our stories. Um, I, I, ha- I mean, I've seen it outside of journalism as well. I think it's just very popular within journalism because all the, all the different journalists are looking at what everyone else does. So, you know, everyone kind of is inspired by each other. So you see it just very prevalent currently in journalism. Gotcha. One other thing that does occur to me, though, is that, you know, the ability to visually represent something is a very par- uh, powerful thing, not just for journalists, but also like on sales pages and stuff. Do you see people using this technique for things other other than journalism? Um, yeah, I've definitely seen it used other places. I think usually that's used more for like the whole wow effect. Um, it's not as, I mean, I haven't seen as many examples where it's like necessary. I think what Adam was talking about, like if there's two completely unrated graphics, you don't necessarily need to do something like storytelling because the nice thing about storytelling is that you can keep object constancy, for example. Um, so I feel like it's definitely more to kind of make the, the page kind of pop a little bit more. But that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? That can be something being something being pretty or elegant is like a tool in in and of itself. That makes sense. So if then if people aren't journalists, you know, are, are they really going to care about this, or is this a tool that you know most JavaScript developers should at least have some familiarity with? I don't think um, so. I know people in industry doing data visualizations and building dashboards and that type of work. This technique doesn't really lend itself quite as well to that because it's it's very narrative driven. The whole point is to hold people's hands and take them through a story with numbers. And like if you're at Netflix, you are you're not building that sort of thing because you only have an audience of a couple of dozen people. You're building a tool for those people to explore data. And then you don't need quite as much handholding and like uh, user friendliness. Yeah. And I could see it being u- utilized in a nice way. Again, if I think Adam said it, if it's narrative driven, that's kind of the heart of why you use something like this. So it could be in the case where you're doing some like user onboarding or like, I don't know, some end of view report that you're trying to communicate some info to stakeholders. Um, but at the core of it is like, it is about storytelling in a sense. So um, that's usually where it does shine. The biggest thing I think uh, JavaScript developers should know about is uh, both intersection observable and also this position sticky thing. That's I'm, I think it's pretty widely implemented, but it makes it pretty easy to have a fixed element on the page with kind of things scrolling around it. Um, a lot of the work in grass scroll is sort of like the bookkeeping of figuring out if like the page is scrolled like above your sticky thing or if it's below it and where you should position things, but position sticky makes that pretty easy to do now. Very cool. I kind of want to go play with it and just see what I can make it do, especially since um, with devchat.tv, I mean, I think, I think it'd be interesting to tell some of the story that we uncover sometimes in some of these episodes 
as well as I really want to get back into blogging. And I think it'd be interesting to just, you know, use this to, you know, to kind of shepherd somebody through the story a little bit more visually than I can with just the words on the page. Hmm. Is there any other aspect of this that we should dive into here before we go to picks or maybe Joe or Amy have other questions? I think you kind of asked, I was really just wondering in this last little bit here about like, what are other ways to utilize this? Those are other developers are going to want to know about and be thinking about. Um, and like kind of what Chuck was asking here. Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't really have a, a great answer to that because I have a bunch of view cases that are based on journalism and I don't really think about too much outside of that. Um, so I'm just kind of really excited to see other ways that people can take Scrollama and like what they come up with. Um, hopefully it's not too sinister. That's my only request, but what is like the, have you seen any really ridiculous or crazy ways people have utilized this? Um, again, the scroll on was pretty, pretty recent. I just published it about like a month or so ago. So, um, I haven't seen any, any, um, any crazy examples yet. Um, I don't know, Adam, have you noticed anything with graph scroll? Uh, I've been staring at it for so long. It doesn't look crazy anymore to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. We just did a, a tax bill calculator. Maybe this will answer your question about what devs can use this sort of stuff for. Um, this isn't too narrative. It's just like answer a couple of questions. Here's what your tax bill is and an example of what you can do with these tools, which probably there's no narrative involved. So any kind of calculator you have that has too many toggles to fit all next to your output, this would work for something like that. I guess I can ask my question, although I don't really think it's probably going to go anywhere, but just in case people didn't see it. So um, is there anything different to talk about as far as like accessibility or for these kind of like websites? Is it literally just like you're going to probably turn some of this stuff off with, um, I believe there's like an ARIA attribute so that the screen reader doesn't read it. Um different things and i i just know like some like with these kind of things like it, it is scrolly telling so you're like telling a story but for people who can't see the screen then how you know did they just read the text or is there anything you know how do you convey the story without that yeah so uh the nice thing about the scrolly telling is that generally speaking most implementations uh involve both text and visuals where the text is kind of explaining the visuals. So they kind of are both necessary. Yeah. Um, so the fact that those are already existent as like normal, whatever paragraph elements on the page means that you should be able to just read it as just straight up HTML without, yeah. um, or a screen reader without too much issue. Um, the, the whole visual that corresponds to that is a whole other ball of wax. And that's, um, I guess, a bigger question for accessibility and data-driven graphics in general, which um, I actually haven't seen a lot of people talk about. And I know. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, oh, no, I'm just I'm, I'm always aware of that. And I'm actually curious if Adam has any more experience with that in, at the New York Times. Yeah, it's not something we do a great job of. I mean, we all know that we're not supposed to do red and green 
color palettes because 10% of people can't tell the difference. But uh, sometimes you're on a deadline and you just throw it on and it looks good and you forget to fix it. Um, I do think we could do a better job with um, adding like kind of annotation attributes to each step of the scrolling to kind of describe what the graphic is. If you're doing it on a screen reader and you can't actually see the chart, but uh, yeah, a lot of that just gets cut out because it's all being done at the last second. Yeah, I know, um, like with Warner Brothers, we do some more like complicated layouts and stuff like that. And it's kind of a shame sometimes um, we'll have like these really, really, really cool like uh, CSS animations and just really, really cool, you know, layouts with a lot going on. But then you end up like slapping Aria hidden on like mm -hmm. half of the page because, you know, the images and, and like different things that you're animating don't make sense to be there um, for somebody who's literally just reading the text on the page. Yeah, and with a lot of our data-driven stories, I often wonder if like the best approach would actually be just to, like have the data that you're showing in like a fallback table, for example, that's you know hidden for the fully interactive visual version. Because um, oftentimes what we're doing is showing a relatively simple data set in kind of a fancy way. Um, so it's it's not that you have to see it that way. It's just that we choose to visualize it to make it more engaging. But it could work, you know, as a a table, a plain table with some annotations could also do the trick, which obviously would be uh, more accessible as well. That's a good question. And it's something that I always forget to really think deeply about when we're talking about some of this stuff. All right. Well, um, if there aren't any other questions, let's go ahead and uh, do some picks. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Joe, do you want to start us with picks? You betcha, Red Rider. Uh, so being that it's the, uh, Christmas season, uh, I'd like to pick, uh, just the obvious here, giving. Did a lot of giving this Christmas season, and I definitely noticed it was a lot more fun to give something to somebody that they really appreciated than it was to receive things. So I'm going to pick giving and, uh, hope that, uh, we all have opportunities to give even more throughout the coming year. And uh, I'll also pick a single board game that I've been playing lately. We got this new board game called Azul. It's a fun board game with where you place tiles and things like that. Uh, plays for four people. Plays pretty quick, 20-ish, 30-ish minutes. Very, a fair amount of strategy, but my uh, just the way that it's kind of 
laid out. It's a little bit abstract. My wife really likes it. She's not a big fan of strategy, but she's really liked it. She's also kicked my butt both times we played, so maybe that has something to do with it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it's a highly rated game. It was kind of hard to get a hold of, but I did manage to get a copy of it. So I highly, highly recommend that if you're looking for a new board game. Azul, A-Z-U-L. That's it. Cool. Amy, what are your picks? Okay, so I'm going to piggyback off of the pick I had last week, just about like, I don't know, tech debt, stuff like that. So this is just a super short article, um, but it's called Deadlines, Bad Reason for Bad Code. Uh, just because I have experienced this, as I'm sure a lot of people have. So um, it's like a there's a snippet from Clean Code in there. So I thought it was a good post. And then the other one, um, so I usually pick like different protein bars and stuff, but I'm kind of hooked on protein powder. This time it is Quest protein powder. It's a cinnamon crunch. It's like absolutely delicious. I don't think I've picked this before. If I did, I'm sorry. Um, but if I did pick it twice, it's good enough to be picked twice. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> That's it for me. Awesome. Um, I'm going to throw out a couple of picks here. Um, I got my wife uh, a game called Tiny Epic Galaxies. Uh, and it's it's a pretty fun game. Uh, you wind up colonizing planets and then the different planets give you different uh, options as you play. And it's kind of a dice card game. Um, I, I think Joe would like it, honestly. Um, I, I played one of the tiny epic games. I, I thought it was pretty fun. Yep. And then um, I also for for Christmas that I got, um, I got a smoker and an instant pot. And the instant pot's like six in one dealio, so it's a pressure cooker or a slow cooker, or you know, it does a bunch of different things. And the smoker, same, you know, you can cook all kinds of stuff in it. And uh, I've really been getting into keto and I've just been really digging being able to cook meat. And uh, so, yeah, so I'm going to pick those as well. And then um, just a reminder about the view and react podcast Indiegogo campaigns that are out there. Um, even if you just want to kind of raise your hand and say, I'm interested, just donate a dollar. Just just click on the back it link and then donate a dollar. If you want the T-shirts or stickers or whatever, then, you know, you back it to whatever level you want. But at least that way I know, oh, there are people out here who are at least raising their hand and saying, hey, I, you know, I want this show. So, uh, yeah, just a quick reminder there. Uh, Adam, what are your picks? Uh, I'm probably going to go board game wise with uh, Dominion. I've been playing it seven years and still playing it online (laughs) every other night. So, yeah, A plus. And do you play any uh, expansions or just the original? Oh, no, yeah, you need the expansions. The original, you can only play like 40 games of that and it, the, the depth is gone. But yeah, Dominion Online, it's great. I didn't know you could play it online. I'll, I'll have to go check it out. Anything, uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. Is there anything else or? Uh, I've been, so I tried out, I finally tried out Rich Harris's Svelte this weekend and he made a nice little kind of template starter app that like does service workers and server-side routing and a bunch of other stuff. And it was super easy to use. I made my little app that I was trying to in about three hours. It's way simpler than I thought it would be. Awesome. Uh, Russell, what are your picks? Uh, let's say, I mean, I got to start with a board game, I guess. Uh, so I'm going to say Crokinole, which is a tabletop board game, kind of like uh, curling, but on the table. 
it's a Canadian board game as far as I know, and it's pretty awesome. Um, uh, let's see. Hey, uh, I just want to ch- uh, chip in here that if you spell that croconaw, that's a Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> How do you spell that croconaw? K-R-O-K-C-R-O-K-I-N-O-L-E. Croconaws. Definitely check it out. Um, but you kind of have to have a lot of room because it's a pretty big board. Uh, I guess the next one I'll go with is a book I just finished up that I actually, it's a, it was a two part book, uh, Binti, uh, by Nendi Okorafor. I believe HBO is turning this into uh, a new series. It's kind of a sci-fi fantasy deal. Um, so if you're one of those people that likes to read the book before the show or movie comes out, um, I recommend that. Um, and then I guess I'll keep it on topic. Uh, Guardian just published last week a new interactive investigative story uh, about how America moves its homeless. It's called Bust Out. Um, and it features some scrolly telling, but then also just some really great interactive graphics um, by Shirley Wu and Nadi Bremer. Great. Now, if people want to follow you guys, see what you're working on these days, you know, maybe Twitter, GitHub, blog, etc. Where do they go for that stuff? Uh, for me, they can follow me on Twitter uh, at Codenberg. And I guess my GitHub username is my full name, Russell Goldenberg. Adam R. Pierce on Twitter and uh, my site's roadtolarissa.com. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you both for coming. This is uh, kind of an interesting... Uh, option for people who are out there trying to tell a story and communicate an idea yeah thanks for having me thanks all right folks we will uh, catch you all next week bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more